reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this Advent season and the chance to wonder at the mysteries um, of your coming and all that came after. Pray that we would be mindful and faithful and um, just reflecting this season and that that would be what is first on our hearts and minds, that we would be willing to share that with those around us. Um, and I pray that as Mark brings uh, brings your word before us today, that you would give us all humility, that you would help us to have open ears and open hearts to uh, be moved by the Holy Spirit and to um, walk away from this place having come to know you better and um, that that would affect how we spend our time and and how we treat those around us and just that we would allow ourselves to be transformed by your word and we thank you for its revelation to us and that you are faithful to us in all seasons. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Happy Advent. Just realized two weeks from now is Christmas Eve. So if you don't have your Christmas gifts bought yet, shame on you. Good luck, maybe is a better way to say that. Well, the church in Corinth... The church in Corinth was divided over petty issues. We looked at that last week uh, in different issues such as teaching styles. Not, not the content of the message, but the way that it was presented. So it seems that there was also criticisms that had been flying around against Paul and against other church leaders, not just teach, teaching styles, but he doesn't necessarily get into the content of what those criticisms were, but other than what he tells us, the criticism may have been around wisdom, what is wisdom, the eloquence of speech, whether or not they had the right charismatic presence. Was he interesting to listen to? Well, I like the way Apollos does it rather than Paul. But this is how, is this really how a teacher or a leader within the church should be assessed? In other words, what does success look like in ministry? Do these characteristics really judge the success or the failure of a leader's ministry? And Paul says, no, it doesn't. So then the question begs, how should success within the church be measured? And to this answer, Paul begins with the church leader's main, main responsibilities. He says, as servant and steward. And so Paul and other church leaders are first and foremost servants, but not servants to the Corinthians, which is interesting. A servant is one who is totally dependent upon and responsible to another. And in this case, church leaders are totally dependent upon and responsible to one person, 
and his name is Jesus Christ. He is their master and Lord, not the Corinthians. And as servants, then their main job is stewardship. A steward is a manager, one who is entrusted into keeping the, a, a property in order, for instance. They don't own the property, nor do they determine how the property should be used. Instead, they are called to steward the property as the owner wants, as the owner desires. As it relates to the church then, Christ is owner and the church leaders are stewards who are responsible to the owner. Specifically, they are stewards, Paul says, of the mysteries of God. But then that begs another question, then what are these mysteries? And thankfully, Paul gives us an answer a couple of pla- in a couple of places actually in 1 Corinthians. So if you turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just a couple chapters earlier, verses 6 through 8, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. He says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So church leaders are stewards of the wisdom of God that was revealed through the death of Christ. And then later in chapter 9, he's a bit more direct. Chapter 9, verse 17, he says this, "For For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? Now listen carefully. Here's the answer. What is the mysteries? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he's talking there about should he be compensated for his ministry specifically. But those words give us an understanding. What are the mysteries of God? What are those hidden and secret things? It is the fullness of the gospel message that Paul had preached. He was a steward, or church leaders are stewards of the fullness of the gospel message. And so just to make clear, what is the gospel message? Thankfully, Paul, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you turn with that to me, I actually have it marked in my Bible, the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. So if you want a real short, concise Not a lot of detail. I'm not saying you should avoid the detail, but this is a nice, concise gospel message. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So in other words, okay, so here's what I actually said to you. You want the cliff notes of what I preached to you for those 18 months that I was with you. Here you go. For I delivered to you as of first importance, number one, the most important thing, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Super simple, super straightforward. Christ came to this earth, and He was a little baby, 
He came, as we said, in a way that nobody expected. We just sang about that. It's it, in a silent way. You would never expect him to come to a little manger. And then he lived a perfect life. He grew in obedience to, God, to his father. And then he died the death that we deserved for our sins so that we might be saved from the wrath of God for our sins. That's the gospel message. That's the mysteries of God in which Paul preached and these church leaders are stewards of. Church leaders are stewards of the gospel message. They are entrusted by God to keep and use the gospel message in a way that God desires. Which is why Paul then adds a qualification for church leadership. Trustworthiness, which would make sense, right? If you have a steward of a property, he better not be a criminal who's going to steal you blind, right? You need a very trustworthy person to take care of that. You're putting your, his, your trust in this person to take care of it exactly how you want it done. Church leaders then are to be faithful and reliable in handling the gospel message in the ways that their master desires and in the way that he commands. So it seems that there were some in the church of Corinth who were directing criticism toward Paul's faithful stewardship. They were taking issue with parts of the message that he preached to the Corinthians. And his response gets right to the point, and it actually might be a bit jarring for us, because this is why I love Paul. He doesn't, he doesn't candy coat. He doesn't worry about tone. That's a big thing in today's world, right? He's said with the right tone. This is what he says, basically. Paul's faithful stewardship is determined by God, not by the Corinthians. He says in verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. A more literal translation is... I care very little if I am judged by you or, or by any human court. I, I, I really don't care how you judge me. Now, this is not to say that Paul didn't care about what the Corinthians had to say or that he was above criticism or critique because that actually would go in contrary to in his other letters when he specifically calls the church to evaluate whether a teacher's teachings are true or false test everything. Is it of the Lord? So don't go so far to say he's not willing to be criticized or critiqued. But in the case of the Corinthian church, the criticism seems to be focused around how the message was presented, not not whether the content of the message was true. In other words, the question lies more in Paul's effectiveness in preaching and teaching the gospel message. Did he really preach it well enough? I mean, yeah, all the truth was there, but, you know, I didn't really, did I enjoy hearing his words? Was I moved by his words? Did it change my life and give me feelings of, wow. But for Paul, the Corinthians' assessment of whether his preaching and ministry are successful means very little to him. And before anyone can accuse him of arrogance, because that sounds like a pretty arrogant thing, like, oh, I'm going to preach the gospel. I don't really care what you think. That's basically what he's saying. That's the Mark version of it. But before we say, hey, that's, a, that's an arrogant guy. I don't want to, 
I don't want to follow that guy. He says the very next, the very next sentence, in fact, I don't even judge myself. Paul refuses to put even himself in the seat of judge over whether his ministry is effective and successful. And when he does evaluate his ministry, he knows of nothing that could be held against him, he says. I don't have nothing to be held against me. His conscience is clear. But none of this means that Paul is off the hook or above any judgment. Sure, he cares little as to what the Corinthians were even... He thinks of himself or his own judgment of the success or failure of his ministry. But in the end, neither opinion really matters because ultimately only God's opinion counts. So to use Paul or the words of, of Roy Kiampa on, on this passage from Paul, this is what Kiampa says, The estate manager may be criticized from many quarters, but in the end, only the owner's opinion counts, and only the owner's assessment should concern him or her. Or take the words of Paul in Romans 14.4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. See, the day is coming for Paul. The day is coming when Paul and every church leader, including the ones in the church in Corinth, will stand before the judgment seat of God, and it is he, the Lord, who will pronounce his judgment as to whether ministry was a success or a failure. Now, some in the Corinthian church may have felt that they had a firm grasp on how to evaluate ministries, whether positive or negative, which I think we all kind of do, like, oh yeah, I, I think I know what I'm talking about when I judge ministry, but no one is a greater judge than God. And on the day of Christ's return, on his second coming, everything will be brought to light. Now, years ago, I took a, a guided tour through a, uh, a deep cave. Have you, has anybody ever been on a, like a cave tour? I know some of you are claustrophobic and refuse to enter a cave, no matter how small. Well, at one point, and maybe you experienced this also, um, at one point the guide actually, he warned us before he did this, but he shut all the lights off, and he said, now let your eyes adjust. <laughs> and it doesn't adjust. Because there is no light. The darkness is impenetrable. We couldn't see any shapes. In fact, somebody's watch light turned on and it basically lit up the whole cave. But for God, that kind of darkness, which to us is impenetrable, we can't see anything, it's, we're blind. For God, that kind of darkness is actually light. He sees all. Now that's, that's a physical illustration of what God does to the heart. What we think is hidden and no one knows about, perhaps even not even ourselves, is not hidden for God. So the church leader and Paul himself and, and church the church leaders in Corinth, if they feel that they can hide things from God. They may be able to hide it from the Corinthians, but they'll never hide it from God because he sees every corner of the heart. He knows everything of our 
hearts and those hidden things in utter darkness will be brought to light by God. The purposes and the intentions of the leader's heart will be exposed. It will be revealed. Now some in Corinth were judging the success of their leaders, including Paul, on what they were able to observe, on outward appearances. But that's how the world judges things. See, God knows the hearts of His servants and their faithfulness. He knows whether they are trustworthy or not. And their success, quote-unquote success, will be judged by Him on that great day of judgment. And then each one, He says, will receive His commendation. Every steward of the gospel message will be judged by God and receive the praise of God that is due to him or her. I mean, he talked about this in the chapter before, in chapter 3, verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, anything that's been built on the foundation of Christ, the gospel message, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. He'll get in by the skin of his teeth. (laughs) Now, as a Christian leader, I can personally testify that the temptation to seek the approval of men, of the congregation that you serve, is strong. If you are a church leader, if you have done any ministry, that temptation... Are people, are people enjoying themselves? Do they, do, do they want to come back? Are they pleased with, with the way that I said it? Or Am I teaching well? Is my ministry successful? Or at the bare minimum, do, do people like me? <laughs> I, I get that. I understand that. But as nice as it, as it is to receive the approval of others, or as painful as it is to receive their disapproval, it's the opinion and judgment of God which ultimately matters. On that day of judgment, on the day that Christ comes back, I will not be standing before you as I am today. I will be standing before the great throne of my master, the one who entrusted me to faithfully steward his gospel. He will give an account of my ministry, not me. He will hold me accountable, but he will expose everything, my actions, my thoughts, my words. Those times when I was trustworthy and those times that I utterly failed. That reality, for me, is both a heaviness and a relief. It's a heaviness in the sense that everything about my stewardship of the gospel will one day be judged. That's heavy. And even the things that I think are hidden from me, they're going to be exposed. But I have relief in that my success as a church leader is not assessed by any individual not by any church, and not by any denomination, but by God alone. You see, I am a servant of one person, God. 
And because of this, I should be seeking His praise, not man's. Now, at the same time, this is true to one degree or another for everyone who is involved in ministry, paid or volunteer. Because every believer in Christ should be serving Him in in some form. You, as a Christian, should be using your gift here at Elm Creek not to receive praise, not to feel good about yourself, but to edify the church, to be a good steward of the gospel message. That is your role, that is your job, faithful steward. And though church leaders, especially teachers, will be held to a higher standard of judgment, every Christian will be held accountable for their stewardship of the gospel message. As Paul says earlier in this letter, as the Lord assigned to each. Not all of you are called to be preachers. Not all of you are called to be teachers. But you are in some way a steward of the gospel message. Even if it's just in the nursery. Or doing administrative work for a ministry. Again, don't hear me saying that the leaders and the teachers at Elm Creek are above criticism or scrutiny. Absolutely not. We are imperfect human beings who need to learn from our mistakes. We sin. We struggle. And we hold each other accountable. Because we all have room to be better stewards, right? But ultimately... Our calling as Christians is to please the Lord, to please the Lord, not our own preferences or the preferences of others. This is what Paul is trying to get at for the Corinthians. And then that's what we can apply to us today. How do you measure success in the church? How do you measure success in the ministry the Lord that, ha- that the Lord has a- assigned to you? Okay, let's, let's take it away from us. And then let's go to Jesus Christ. Was he successful or on the outside looking at what Christ did, what happened? He was born in a manger with a bunch of dirty animals. He was born in a way that nobody expected and very few people were there. Shepherds came, the lowest of the low came to worship him. Only later did wise men, pagan wise men, by the way, come to worship him. Would that, is that a great way to start a ministry so that you can get a lot of people to come and see this, this baby, this, this Jesus, the Son of God, who's going to come and save us from our sins? And the answer, of course, would be no. And then you go to his ministry. A lot of people follow Jesus, but Jesus also made a lot of enemies. He didn't always say what was politically correct. He didn't always say what people wanted to hear. In fact, he said, I'm going to say things that you will reject. I'm going to say things that some people will believe, but you who are hard of hearing spiritually, you will reject it. On one occasion, he spoke the truth and most of the disciples left except for the 12. Hundreds of people walked away. 
except for the 12. And he says, are you going to leave too? And they said, where are we going to go? You have the truth. We're going to stick with you. So is it a success to have 12 people stay and hundreds of people leave? Well, by the world standards, no. Him going to the cross, suffering and dying, was, that's a great way. That's a great way to keep a ministry going. No. By the eyes of the world, that was an utter failure. And yet, all of that needed to happen, and it all happened by the plan of God so that after he dies, three days later, he raises from the dead, he defeats the power of sin, he raises or ascends into heaven, and he's sitting at the right throne, sitting, he's done, it's complete. He's not standing, wandering around trying to do things. He is, he is sitting in the throne And by his blood, his people are saved in a way that the world would never say was successful. How do we measure success? Are we seeking the praise of God or of men? Did Jesus seek the praise of God or of men? As Christians, we should feel both the heaviness of accountability from our master and the relief that ultimately our calling is to please God and to receive his praise, receive his commendation. So this is Paul's calling, and he's, he's, he's going to get sarcastic um, in, in the passage uh, next week. He's going to get sarcastic to, to the church, and he's using it. Some people don't like that word. It's, it's, it seems like a negative word. Paul's using it in a positive way. Can you use sarcasm in a positive way? I, I think yes, but I'm also, that's my spiritual gift is sarcasm. So it can be used in a very negative way. But Paul is using sarcasm is to get at the point. He's telling, to the, to, he's telling them, your leaders, you church leaders, be faithful stewards of the gospel message. Whether that's teaching in Sunday school class, whether it's speaking to your neighbor, as a church, We are to be faithful stewards of the gospel message and we must remember whom we serve. I love you. You are my church family. I love my job. I still can't believe you pay me to do this. I'm amazed that God called me to this and, and that I enjoy it so much. But ultimately, I don't serve you as you don't serve me. We serve him. We serve the one who came as a baby. We serve the one who lived the perfect life. We serve the one who died the death that we deserved. And we serve the one who rose again. Death could not keep him in the grave. And because of that, we are now adopted sons and daughters, full-fledged members of the family of God. We are his family, but we are also his servants. And we are called to serve and worship an audience of one. So my hope and my prayer as a church is that it sinks in this Christmas season. We say it every year, decorations are great. Presents are wonderful. We've got them under our tree too. But ultimately, it's not about those things. Those things in and of themselves are to point to 
Christ. And we are to remember as His people whom we serve and worship. It's Him. And it's Him alone. May that be true for us this Christmas season. Father, thank You for Your Son and thank You for the words that You gave Paul to convict us but also, God, to encourage us. Let the heaviness of the fact that you are our judge, that we will stand before you, may it drive us as your people, God, to be more faithful, to be more trustworthy as a steward. But I pray, Father, too, that that we would find the relief and the joy in that, that we don't have to please others. We don't have to We don't have to say it exactly, perfectly, grammatically right. We don't have to do everything perfectly in the eyes of other people, Father. We need to be faithful to you. Even if it's done in a very simplistic manner, let us be faithful to you. Remind us, God, that we serve you and we serve you alone. And let our joy in serving you be seen by the people around us, especially, Father, this Christmas season. To not, to not let the things of this world overwhelm us, to not let us measure success based off of the worldly standards of outward appearances. For you look at the heart, God. May we be your faithful servants, trustworthy stewards of your mysteries, of your gospel, God with the full heaviness and joy that you ask of us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll sing our final song together.